Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jerry Van Heath. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heath, and we are here with a great 150th episode for you guys today. We have Mr. Jeff Danker. A friend of ours uh, from down south there, Jeff, you've seen him on Major League Bowhunter, Buck Ventures, uh, The Woodsman. He's been doing this deer hunting thing for years. Been in the TV game for a long time. Um, he, but what caught my eye was a great buck he killed already this year. Four or five drop tines on it in Kansas on his own dirt. And Jeff put together a habitat plan, and put in the work to make this happen. So we're going to get to that. We're going to cover all the great things with Jeff. We're going to cover you know, who he is, where he's from, his, his past, all that great stuff. Um, what's it like growing up in uh, you know, Oklahoma and deer hunting there, um, how he got into the outdoor industry. Then we're talking about his approach to setting up habitat on his properties, how Jeff does it, where he's at. There's not a lot of... Uh, trees. You can see for a long ways where he's at, so it's pretty interesting. Um, I was jacked when we were done having this conversation. We're also going to talk about the mousetrap that he set, the quote-unquote mousetrap where he killed that gigantic five-drop tine buck this year. We're going to talk about the habitat mousetrap that he set up, which led that deer within bow range, uh, another great deer in front of that deer in bow range as well. So Jeff really has it going on. And we're going to cover that. Now, I want to stop and thank everyone who follows, listens, supports the Habitat Podcast. Guys, episode 150. That is a big deal to me. And uh, I am forever thankful. I mean, it's amazing to think how far we've come in in three years and... Uh, we're going to keep this thing rolling, this train moving. It's, it's, it's only going to go up from here. Um, I'm, I'm very just proud of what uh, this has become. I'm excited. Um, I'm very humbled at all the you know, 
great feedback we get and just people who are learning from this podcast. Really, and, and the people I've met uh, in terms of our land plan clients or just people, you know, just other hunters and habitat managers like us, I, I literally have chills just thinking about it right now on what this has become. You know, from back in the beginning where we started, my friend Jesse and I just cracking beers and talking about hunting and habitat. Didn't know much, you know, and we started from the very beginning and we've had, you know, now look at us. We're, we're the best habitat podcast that's out there. Um, you know, we've interviewed so many awesome guests. You know, you awesome listeners have made this happen. We've learned so much with you guys, the listeners, um, as we've gone along here. We've had hundreds of thousands of downloads, people finding us from every state in the U.S., it seems like. Um, you know, we, we started a consulting side of our business now where we help out landowners, our Habitat podcast, Land Plans. Um, and you may or may not have heard yet, I smoked my largest Michigan buck last weekend on my 15 acres in Michigan. Um, this stuff works. The hours, the effort, the planting, everything works. The strategy, the planning, the access, the stand locations, all that we always talk about. Everything came together Sunday night, and I arrowed a great nine-point buck. I feel dressed right around 200 pounds. So I am just on cloud nine this week. We're celebrating with episode 150 here. Uh, we have big plans to come. We're growing this thing. I plan on taking this thing to the moon, guys. And, uh, you know, need your help along with us. And just, I just want to thank you. I'm truly proud and humbled and just, you know, very excited for where the future is going to take us. So just grateful. Grateful of the podcast and its listenership across the nation here. If it wasn't for you guys, we probably wouldn't still be doing this. You know, we love hearing your feedback, and um, we're going to keep pumping these out. So thank you very much, the listeners, our sponsors from the very beginning who supported us, and, of course, our guests. Uh, speaking of our, our sponsors from the very beginning, Mr. Lincoln Roan, my friend and owner of Packer Max Cult of Packers, was our very first partner. Um, Link, it's been a good run, buddy. You are on fire. Lincoln, is, is his business is growing exponentially, and they are all caught up with any supply chain issues that they had here in 2021. I know that he moved blow molders. Um, I know that they are stocked, set up, ready for the holidays, Black Friday, whatever, spring food plot season. Moving forward, I talked to him last week, talked to him this week, and uh, guys, Packer Max, Call to Packers, literally one of the most important tools in my toolbox. Um, we all use them, Brian, you know, Jordan, Al, everybody uses them, and we can't get enough of the Cult of Packers. Uh, we do have a, a discount, so just look at the, the show notes below. You'll see all that. But what I wanted to mention as well, besides the supply chain issues that are all resolved now, is Lincoln has some really cool uh, swag and merchandise that just came out. I got one of his hoodies. I got one of his long sleeve shirts, one of his hats, and a cool um, laser-engraved drink mug. I'm going to have to make some of these for the podcast. These are pretty awesome. So check them out, guys. You know, Packer Max, 
Google them. There are links on our website. Logo's up there. You've heard Lincoln on the podcast again. We're going to get Lincoln back on here in uh, late November and uh, catch up with him then. But, Link, thank you very much through 150 episodes. Couldn't do it without you, buddy. Uh, next, I want to talk about the squirrel nut planting device. Uh, you can find this at nutplanter.com. It's also on our website. There's a blog post on there under the Habitat Journal where we show some videos. We show you what it is, how it works. Um, and if you're not following our social media, check that out because I'm going to put a video of us using the nut planter, my friend Ryan and I, um, earlier this year. Now, the nut planter is an acorn, chestnut, you know, small nut planting device where you can go plant a ton of different nuts in the ground very quickly without bending over using this tool. Um, it's a very economic price tool. It's great for gifts. I'm putting it on a Christmas list for a couple of my friends that I know, and we're going to get this this thing going. Now, if you didn't listen to our podcast with Lowell Larson, go back a couple episodes. I think it was 147. Uh, we had Lowell on, and um, just a great guy making a great product, all made here in Michigan. And uh, you know, if you can find that all at nutplanter.com, we do have a 10% discount, discount code on that, so feel free to scroll down and check that out in the show notes here as well. Um, and get yourself one of these, or if, you're, or if your dad or mom for Christmas wants to, you know, wants a gift and you're hard to buy for, um, it's a perfect gift for anybody who's into habitat management or growing trees or timber, stand improvement, any of that. So uh, check them out, nutplanter.com, tell them the Habitat Podcast sent you, and you will get your discount. All right, guys, I'd just like to thank the rest of our partners, um, you know, just we're just blessed. I'm just I'm on cloud nine this week. If you can't tell, nobody's gonna make me mad this week. There's no way possible. Um, I want to thank Killer Food Plots. I want to thank Morse Nursery. I want to thank Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, Afflictor Broadheads, and Realtree Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. Now, I mentioned I shot that buck, right? So if you haven't listened to episode 149.5, go back and listen to that short, quick episode that my friend Jim and I did last weekend. The conditions all lined up for a great weekend, and I was able to capitalize on that. I had two of the best hunts I've ever had on my property on the, I think it was 16th and 17th of October, guys. The quote-unquote October lull. Not on my property, not with the habitat work that we've done. And why, why I'm saying this is this weekend, again, is shaping up to be dynamite. You know, there's more cold weather coming in. The pressure is on the rise through the weekend. And I think, uh, you know, listen to 149.5, that episode with Jim Lombardi and Mox Scrapes. And then a lot of that information, I think, holds true into this weekend. So consider that when you're hunting this weekend, you know, be smart. Careful with your access. Slide in there and, and precision strike, guys. So I want to just mention that because the, the conditions, again, look phenomenal for this weekend like they did last weekend coming off of, uh, you know, some warmer weather. So anyways, we love you guys. Brian and I are extremely thankful that you keep coming back, keep leaving us reviews, and uh, more to come from us soon. Thank you for listening to the Habitat Podcast. Let's get into it with Jeff Danker from Buck Ventures.
All right, guys, we're back. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have a co-host, Brian Hallbly, on the line, as always. And a very special guest today, Mr. Jeff Danker. How are you doing today, Jeff? I am doing well. I'm so appreciative to be on here. And, uh, you know, it's hot over here in the Midwest, so it's uh, I'm in the air right now getting to talk to you guys. <laughs> well, hey, we we truly appreciate you hopping on. And, um, you know, we're... Uh, we're big fans of your your shows, your multiple shows, and been been following along for a while. So pretty cool to have you on here and get to talk deer hunting and habitat with you. So, well, the good Lord has blessed me. Um, who who knew that I'd end up doing what I do? I grew up, you know, rodeoing a little bit and then roofing. And thank God I'm not still roofing. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. Let's let's hear about how you grew up a little bit, just to kind of paint a picture of you know who you are, where you're from. What you do for a living? Just give the listeners a little okay. background, if you don't mind. Well, Jeff Danker, I uh, just grew up right here in a little small town, guys, in Oklahoma. Basically, just wedged right in between Tulsa and Oklahoma City off of I-44. A great place to live, good people. And uh, my dad's had a roofing company now for about 40-some years. And, uh, you know, heck, I was up on those roofs when I was five years old. Dad taught me how to work and, and very thankful for that. And, you know, more than that, I'm thankful my mom drug me to church, uh, even though as I always wanted to be in a roping pen, mom made me go to church on Sundays, and, um, you know, so a couple things were born. Dad dad uh, got born in me, kind of the, the, the outdoors stuff that I just loved, took me coon hunting when I was four years old, and that's all we did, and then my mom um, instilled in me a love for Christ, um, and so... You know, that is pretty much, if you ask me who I am and who I want to be, that is first and foremost what I want to be. Um, you know, the big bucks God has provided for me to, um, have this platform. Um, I'm never, I'm not going to tell you I've never got out of whack with it and, and got it mixed up, but my goal is to always put him first and, you know, the big bucks will come and go and, and just be out there and be able to share my faith, uh, wherever I go. Oh, that's that's awesome, and that's kind of another reason we wanted to to have you on. We're both uh, fathers of Christ as well, and and love to raise our families around that um, as much as possible. And and honestly, I mean, at the end of a lot of your shows that that you have, you have a a minute or two a sermon, if you will, or, or a, a verse that you read from the Bible, and I just I love that. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's the, the the way you you come across, or just that I. I have a lot of respect for you, but um, I don't know. I pay. I find myself well, paying deeply attention the whole time. So yeah, well, I appreciate it, and I, you know, I've had uh, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and, and love it. I've had some not so nice words as well, but um, the truth of the matter is, it's the most important thing I do, whether I'm speaking in a church across the Midwest at a beast feast or sharing God's word uh, every week. Um, we will continue to do that until they kick us off. So, um, again, that's my purpose in life. And, you know, I, I, I always knew God had something for me, and, and I've tried to follow him somewhat, but I've, I've messed up so many times. And, you know, I, I would tell anybody, man, if you can find your purpose, I mean, we all have one. And I can promise you it ain't just you big deer. <laughs> that ain't it, you know. Um and so I'm real fortunate. I feel like God has showed me clear what my purpose is, and and um, you know we're doing that and trying to be faithful. Amen. Yeah, like Jared said, we appreciate that, and uh, the majority of your audience does, I'm sure. Obviously, you're going to get some of the 
the negative stuff thrown at you, people saying, hey, why can't you leave that out of it? But uh-huh. we're not going to change. That's that's the way it is, and, and we sure appreciate that, Jeff. Yeah, well, I mean, just like you guys, I mean, if they don't want to listen to you, they don't have to. Right. Um, but um, they don't want to be on your social media, they don't have to. So, um, again, uh, <laughs> I started out a big people pleaser. I mean, that's, uh, and I had to learn. I was taught by some very wise men to, you know, that you can't please everyone, and, and uh, people pleasing is, uh, it gets in the way of God's work sometimes, you know. Uh, the gospel's the gospel, you know. Um, half of it is love, and the other half is, there's, you know, God is a just God, and, and there will be, uh, you know, things coming. There's heaven and hell, and, and you can't leave one without the other, you know. So um, that's the one thing that I try to do on our show is, um, you know, just give them truth. You know, do it gracefully, but, uh, or graciously. Um, but truth, you know, there, there's so much false teachings. And so really trying to follow the Bible and, and know it and, and then be able to share with uh, everyone I come across to point them towards Christ. Absolutely. Keep at it, brother, for sure. Now, growing up in Pennsylvania, everybody wanted to go out to Illinois, and then later on, Iowa got big, and we never really heard about Oklahoma. So tell our listeners about how Oklahoma deer hunting was when you were growing up and compare it to how it is now. Okay. Well, probably like a lot of places. I mean, we coon hunted when I was four, and we had a lot of good coons. (laughs) But uh, the deer, they were really around here in central Oklahoma. They were non-existent. I mean, it was real in the 70s. I was born in 71, and and, uh, you know, my dad, and if they saw a deer track, they got excited. And, and so, you know, I didn't really go through those times, but I went through the times. I mean, you know, I just tell you guys, when I started hunting, if it was brown, we were slinging lead. We were, you know, we have rifle season in Oklahoma, and just what a fun time. And around Thanksgiving to get with your family and, and go out and hunt, and I, I just cherish so much of that. And, but, you know, it was tough. And, and really in the 90s, uh, I graduated in 1990 from high school and, and, uh, I was, uh, hunting central Oklahoma and shot a few good bucks, but I started going out to northwest Oklahoma and, uh, right there on the Kansas line and, and, you know, more like where I grew up, it might be somewhat like y'all. I mean, you know, if you got 40 acres, you got something. Uh, when you go to northwest Oklahoma, if you got 4,000 acres, you don't even go to the cafe because you're embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, you know, big land out there. Right, so, right. Um, deer could grow. And um, so I got to experience that. And, and really, that's where I really started learning a lot. Because, you know, I'd read everything. I'd learned from TV. And I took it all in. But when I got out there and I got to see. So I would see a buck from even a 1,000 yards and see how he walked, see how he dealt with things. And, and then maybe watch a deer at 200 yards cut my track and see what he did, turned upside down, and, and even a doe smelling where I walked from 40 yards away. And so it really created this detailed hunter in me. And, and, and the reason it did is because you couldn't kill these suckers without doing it out there. I mean, they'd see you. Uh, you have to be real careful on your entries because they'd lay on these big hills. And and um, and so that is where I really cut my teeth to, to, to really start putting together what, you know, I remember watching juries and thinking, okay, you said play to win. What's that mean? And, you know, you're too embarrassed, right? You're a guy. You're supposed to know these things. So <laughs> um, that is what I set out to do is I was embarrassed to, to not know things. 
I wanted my shows to help whether a five-year-old kid need to know something or a seasoned hunter. And again, not necessarily for my successes, but even for my failures. And so that's really what I've tried to do is be transparent to that, to help people and say, listen, I don't have it all figured out, but I've been a few miles and I can help you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's something that uh, we don't do a good job, a good enough job of in the hunting industry is showing people our failures. Everybody flips on the TV or the social media and they just see these big giant bucks and they don't see all the failures that lead up to that. So. It's great to see guys like you sharing that and uh, definitely something to learn from. Well, it's always the worst thing, guys, is you be at the show, your trade show, you're standing there, and you might be in front of your big buck or whatever, and they, they never want to talk to you about that. Like, boy, <laughs> I you that time. You missed that deer. You, you know, that was awesome. And you're like, what? <laughs> but that is, you know, you're, it, it just we're all human. I mean, like I teach my daughter, I'm like, listen, we're all going to mess up. They can call us professionals all they want. They have no idea. We're just there. That's sure. all we ever were. And good editors. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So what was the big difference about uh, northwest Oklahoma? Just the space and the deer able to get that age, or was the habitat a lot different too? Well, I think it's a little of both. And, and, and before I go any further, don't get me wrong, Oklahoma is very diverse. You know, we have the mountains and there's big deer there. And there's a lot of big deer. I mean, I have a 175 inch deer right now on my property. But, you know, it ain't fun. They're real hard. I mean, you, you got to get down to it, details to shoot one of these acorn type deer. You know, lots of blackjacks, two mile sections with nothing but trees. And, and, and again, it's very rewarding. But, you know, filming a television show, um, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma, even my Ohio place, different stuff like that is is easier. And, and I have that. I, I remember going after guys, and an old timer told me, said, uh, "I said, well, why are these deer just so big?" And, and what I meant by that, in a sense, is you know, three hundred pound bodies. And uh, he said, "Jeff, there's just something in the dirt." And in my mind, I'm thinking, "These things farmers, you know." And they would always <laughs> tell me, "They're not down in the bottom; they're up in the hills." And I'm thinking. You guys know what you're talking about. And then before long, you start listening to farmers, there is something in the dirt. I mean, there's so much mineral. You can take a trophy rock out there, you can take a softbox, whatever it is, and they will not touch it out there because there's so much mineral in that stuff that don't look good. I mean, that safety stuff, whatever. I mean, you guys have probably been to Colorado and you take a horse up there and you try to feed them a bell of alfalfa hay and they eat the grass next to it. Do it. And that's that strength in it. And that's the way northwest Oklahoma is right there, southwest Kansas. And um, it's like that farmer said, there's just something in the dirt there. And um, and then, again, back to not as much pressure, you know, big uh, deals of land. And, and uh, it's hard to poach out there because, you know, especially they'll see you. Somebody will see you. <laughs> you can see for miles, you know. So um, not to say that that doesn't go on some, but, but I think that's the difference. And, you know, this, this deer here, if you look back here behind, I mean, the top deer weighed 320 pounds. Uh, northwest Oklahoma had two broadheads in him when I when I killed him. Finally, I skinned him out. He had two broadheads. In wow, yeah, that sounds like a Michigan buck getting sought after by everybody and their brother eighteen, 18 different times. You know, <laughs> three hundred and twenty pounds. Good night. Yeah, yeah, that was on the hook, but yeah, big big sucker. So out in uh, Oklahoma or Kansas, where you're spending a lot of your time recently, what's your approach to setting up? habitat and and the farm itself i want to get into your buck you shot this year and kind of talk about 
you know, when you first bought the farm, what did it look like? What were your first things you did? Kind of take us through down that path, if you will, yeah. Um, yeah. setting up what we call kind of, you know, the habitat or the mousetrap. So to kind of paint this picture for me is, you know, if I were to go buy a piece of Iowa dirt, I, it's hard for me to beat my neighbor. He's got soybeans, he's got corn, you know, that's going to be preferred, you know, obviously soybeans early, this and that. The next neighbor's got the same thing, you know, in most places. And, and in different areas, it's the same. Even my, my Ohio stuff, you know, everybody's got corn, soybeans, whatever. So you have to be strategic to beat the farmer and to have the biggest deer or whatever. When you go to northwest Oklahoma, guys, it's one of the most special things. First of all, one of the parts I got called the Wallahatchee, you know, they found the Kansas King sheds uh, one and a half miles from my north fence line. It's in Kansas, but my Wallahatchee mainly is in Oklahoma. And um, that, those sheds, if you go look at them right now, that's the world record typical if it would have been killed. It's 216 inches. So, again, back to finding an area, and you've got, already got genetics. But here's the, the kicker where I love northwest Oklahoma, southwest Kansas. There's not a green field in northwest Oklahoma where my property is within 10 miles, per se, wow. to speak of. So you put in an 80-acre pivot, uh, a 30-acre pivot, whatever it is. But but here's the kicker where I stand. Soybeans and corn, I do some of it, but I can't get return on my money. Because if I put in soybeans, I want to leave soybeans. So i got to spend the money to put in soybeans. And then I don't want to take them out. So I just got to eat that money. Same thing with corn. Now, I do do soybeans, and I'll get into more details how I set that mousetrap with those. But the biggest thing, alfalfa in northwest Oklahoma, southwest Kansas, even anywhere in Kansas and Oklahoma, to me it's the number one food, and it gives a return. So I can put in alfalfa. I can make a crop share with my farmer, and I get a third. He does two-thirds. And I get a even a 35-acre alfalfa field. Well, that alfalfa is good from then on, and I'm getting a return on it. And so my first thing I ever do, especially in those two states, is I put in alfalfa. You know, uh, just recently, uh, I got back, you know, if you follow me at all, some of these years I've shot on the Wallahatchee, shot my 200 on the Wallahatchee, then it sold. I didn't have it for a while, and now I've partnered back up, and we rebought that thing, 5,300 acres up there on the Kansas line. And it, it was run down. And the first thing I did is go in and put alfalfa in. I mean, uh, one question I got years ago, they asked me, said, Jeff, how do you grow all those big deer? And the truth of the matter is, I think I muttered up something. I don't even remember my answer. But I don't even know if I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and I got to thinking about it. I thought, how do I grow all those big folks? And then I realized I don't. I still don't. You know, I put in 80 acres of alfalfa. I put in another 50 acres of wheat right there. Uh, uh, grab a a big cow feeder and fill it up with corn and then leave it alone and then all of a sudden they just come. You can't run them deer out of there if you try because there's no other green and then all of a sudden those deer get there and then those bigger deer stay. They they, they find security, they find food and then they, they winter there and you have them and I know I'm getting in a real broad deal but I just kind of wanted to paint the deal kind of how I start things. That, that was no, that was an excellent answer. Um, you know, you first of all, you had a couple things there. Being the outlier in the neighborhood, right? You're you're being the shining star versus your neighbors. We talk about that all the time. Uh-huh. Um, finding the low hole in the bucket with the food, um, 
and, and alfalfa, that, that return on your investment, that's a great point. I like how you frame that because yeah. corn and beans, that's expensive to put in. Then you got fertilizer. Right. And, and like you said, we're doing this all for deer, right? So yeah. how much money are you going to spend? Brian, you've had great success with alfalfa too, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, both in uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's a it's a deer magnet all the way up until the frost uh, kind of puts a uh, stop to it. But we've we've had deer feeding on it up into the rut. So yeah, oh yeah, that's great. Well, a lot of times, Brian, I do too. Is come in and grill uh, no-till wheat right in it. You know, in that lighter part. You know, like say in the next ten days, I might do that with some of mine. You know, down here, I probably don't get as cold as quick as you do. I mean. My alfalfa stays a lot of times for a, it might even get through the first freeze and get a, wait till a harder freeze. And so it might still be, you're coming to it pretty good for December 1st. Um, and then, like I said, my, my deal to set those traps is, is, is to get, you know, it's just like I lease forever, guys. I, I, I lease these big pieces of property and I've helped, you know, 1200 would help me pay for it and this or that. But again, you have no control. You got cows, you got all this stuff. And so when I started buying property, then my wife's like, well, what, we're buying them and then we're still spending all this money. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, let me see if I can figure this out. So like I said, that's where the alfalfa coming in. And again, like the, the, the property where I just shot that, that four drop side deer, um, you know, I put in that one there. It's got 25 acres of alfalfa. And I, I always put my alfalfa in. You can put it in the spring, but I usually put mine in in the fall. And, um, you know, a lot of times I will, the first plant, I will plant wheat with it, kind of as a protection. And that way, even if I buy a piece of property, instead of having to wait a full year to get a benefit, I go ahead and put wheat with it. So I, I do get the benefit of deer coming to the wheat that year. Um, and then the next year, obviously, I got the alfalfa. And, and um, But but that's what I did with that. I got 25 acres of alfalfa. Um, I, I was real, uh, you know, planting head feed and switchgrass for and even using bales of hay and sticking bales of hay. I mean, I'm talking about buying bales of hay, going around and finding a bale of hay, seeing a whole deal where a farmer and youth would say, how much you want for that? They're like, dude, the hay ain't no good. I'm like, dude, I'll give you $10 a bale for it. And then load that hay up and take and block a deal where they can't see into your alfalfa from a road or something. You know, uh, you know, you yeah, switch grass for that and, 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 and stuff like that. And then, and then I plant Milo with head feed, uh, um, and then soybeans and corn as well. You know, not big things, but just my idea is, is food, food, food. Uh, you know, we can talk about security. You can talk about all that other stuff, but food, food, food. And that's my, that's kind of my secret in a sense that isn't a secret. But, um, you know, because I have these, these steel producers with me, and they're like, well, what else? You know, and, and, you know, we, we do water. We do different things there in Kansas. But, but the main thing is food and, and then picking spots to hunt them and not bust them out. Yeah, and that, that's interesting. They're slaves to their stomach. We know that. Um, and as long as you're not overpressuring the, the food, I can see being the number one priority. Uh, I, I just picked up a new – 70 acre parcel in northern Michigan there's not you know farmland anywhere near it so my thought is like what you're saying food right off the bat right get them pull them from everywhere else and 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 get that good food plot or, or whatever in there now if you're if you're near say you're near corn and beans like all your neighbors or your spot up in Ohio are you still planting alfalfa or what are you planting there to di- differentiate yourself a little bit 
Well, in uh, in Ohio, if I take that farm, I have corn soybeans everywhere, and and uh, so what I try to do there is buy some of the soybeans from a farmer, buy some of the corn from a farmers, and um, you know spend that money there. Uh, some of the corn, you know, if I keep say ten acres of corn. I might keep it, keep it, keep it. They cut theirs. I keep that 10 acres, but then I might go in and, and brush all five acres of it and then leave that other five acres standing. So, you know, that's something that those deer ain't going to have on other farms. I may, you know, obviously leave the soybeans and then I go plant food plots. I mean, just, a, you know, the typical biologic type food plots with the turnips, the rape, the, you know, <clears throat> rye, triticale, whatever. And, um, you know, and then really on that is, um, you know, the thing of it is, you guys know this, when you bait, I, I, I'm going to bait till the day I die. But, you know, I, I have a lot of people say, man, you bait, how easy is that? I'm going to tell you right now, you bait, you better be on your toes. Because bucks are already coming in, they're timid, they just left the other 40 acres, and they got busted over there. And that, that's what, when you, when you try to start shooting a big deer over corn, that deer is so educated. If he's five years old, he's seen no many dang corn piles or ain't funny. And most of the time, you got somebody there hunting with a bad wind. And so they're educated. So <clears throat> the corn piles is, is just another deal. I mean, it's we, we use them. But a lot of times, the way I set mine up is put the stand up, get a good entry, get my corn pile, say, 60 yards away, my main deal down there. And then what I'll do is I'll get that big buck coming, big buck coming, and my, my guy's looking at me going, dang, he's 60 yards. What are you going to do? Can you see him from the dang tree stand through the tent? Okay, we got him now. And then I'll start sprinkling corn back to my tree. And maybe he can just put a little pile here and there at 30 yards. So the majority of the deer are going to be on the big pile, but it's something about it. That big buck will come check that little, little corn deer. And... um I think that's a, you know, I just, a corn pile so many times, and, and you guys, I don't know how your Ohio is, you've got to be in a three-trunk tree there. Them suckers will look up. You know, you got to you got to cross your teeth and dot your eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, it's like, like you said with the smaller corn pile, bucks, they use different trails in the does. They they do things differently. They're a different animal. Um Great insight on on the bait strategy there. I've never heard that. That's a great idea. Yeah. So you said you're 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 a property owner now, um, which is awesome. We're we're both property owners as well. Or Brian was. He's he's uh, in between right now. We'll call it. And mm-hmm. uh, curious that when did you first start buying your own ground? How long have you been buying ground for? And um, what does that look like in terms? Of, you don't have to get too detailed, but. I mean, is it 40 acres? Is it 400 acres? What are, you, what are you dealing with these days? Well, the truth of the matter is, guys, is I, you know, I've had all these leases. I've been successful in a lot of them. And, and, and probably about 2006, I had the opportunity to, I, I didn't even own the property. It was at Wallahatch, and I got to go in with a guy, an investor, and, and he owned it. I just got to fix it up and do all that. So I, I didn't really own it. But, it, you know, it felt kind of like mine. But. But all along, I had never got to shoot a buck of my own, of my own property. I mean, I have 40 acres in my house, and then I got a 320-acre lease, and my daughters have shot deer on our property. But going into this year, I never got it. So three years ago, 2019, I purchased my first piece of property. That was the woolly grass in Kansas. That's what the name I give. It's, just, it's got a ton of CRP. 
You know, they had shot a 238-inch deer off of the year before I bought it, um, but it didn't have no food on it, um, and we, we went to work on it. I mean, I was so proud. It's 374 acres. Um, what, what made me buy this piece of property is there was this, this big name farmer and he owned on every side of it and he didn't let anybody hunt. Um, and so I got with the farmer that farmed all that big country there and he said, yeah, I don't want hunts. And, and so I bought the 374 acres and, uh, water tanks, food, you know, put a 16,000 pound bulk feeder on it. Um, where they could come anytime. I made boundaries where you couldn't even shoot a deer in the sanctuary, which is, that's 374 acres, and there's probably about 120 acres that I will not step foot on unless it's shed season. One time I walked through it. And, um, you know, I put in trails through the big grass. I put in that alfalfa. And, you know, 2019 didn't shoot a deer. 2020 didn't shoot a deer. And uh, last year, that that what we were calling the flyer buck, uh, we we saw him the first year, and then the second year, he was probably got 135 inch deer last year. Had a flyer still off his back, and you know, I was like toe to toe. I said, I have no idea with that deer. He may not ever be nothing. And so going into this year with the alfalfa, we planted the alfalfa in 2020, and so we had the wheat the last year with it, and, and brought in a lot more deer. But this year was the year the alfalfa. Everything full circle, 150 deer on the alfalfa before dark. I mean, watching from the road, just crazy. And there was the flyer buck uh, with four drops. Um, and I knew he was five. Uh, you know, he was the deer that we were going to, you know, he was the deer that I told Cole, um, that's the deer, the first deer I'll ever shoot on my property. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, with the September 21st cold front, it was perfect where he was going to come out in my mind. You know, it doesn't happen that way a lot, but in my mind, I knew exactly where he was bedded. I knew he had a good chance he would hit the soybeans, which was the muddy blind I'd set up just for him. Hit the soybeans just for a second, and I had water. Um, he'd hit the water, and then he'd walk out into the alfalfa. And um, <laughs> that's exactly how it worked that night, uh, sure that he didn't make it to the water of the alfalfa. So how did you know where he was bedded at? Um, well, just a lot of it, just history, and, and I get the question a lot. It's like, how do you know where deer are bedded? And, and you know, um, a lot of it, I'm trying to tell guys, you know, you just gotta, you gotta give an educated guess. Now, in this case, this buck, I had, I spent two years with him, so I kind of knew where his core was. I never found his chest, guys, by the way. Not one chest out of those two years. So, um, that is not the case, but I just knew that where he always came from. And, and then um, the way I designed the farm with hinge cutting and different things, um, you know, I knew probably the most mature bucks where they would be. Uh, and then just the history of how the, the bucks walked on that farm. And and um, and sure enough, I mean, I guess right within probably 50, 60 yards of where I think, I mean, he had, when I first saw him the other day, he, he just got up, I can promise you. There was, uh, I think, eight other bucks with him, and, and they had all been laying right there. So what's your approach for hinge cutting in that type of terrain? Do you have much terrain change there? Well, this piece of property is really flat, um, you know, uh, it, but in right in the center, like I said, it's all grass. And when I say that, I have 10-foot grass down to 4-foot grass, uh, the whole property, even in the timber. 
Um, so in the middle of the property is that 140 acres of timber, brush, you know, crap stuff that you just leave it alone. So I'm, I'm careful with it. Um, but no, I, I go in and I, I hinge cut. I'm probably not a professional by any means, but just, uh, using my head to create them thick. I got a bunch of, uh, cutovers or a bunch of, uh, just deadfalls over the years this property's had and just, you know, ain't cleaning none of that. I'm just making it woolier and woolier. Well, the biggest thing I fight in that country, guys, is fire. Just, just praying that I don't get a fire on my property and, and, and get in there and, and get that. Won't hurt the grass, but my, my deadfalls, they would light up like a, you know, whatever. So, but, but anyway, just, you know, they're going to bed there every year. They're going to bed every year in the same spot. Yeah. Well, congrats on that buck. Beautiful buck. And then, like to get you to walk through uh, the mouse trap and how you set that up for us, too. Well, what I did on this piece of property is so I was, I, I don't know about y'all, but I have so many people that talk about they don't get an east wind and, and how I don't hunt an east wind. I've shot a ton of big deer with an east wind, especially early in Kansas and Oklahoma. You're going to have easterly wind. So I set it up just for that. No one, whatever big buck our, our, the woolly grass produced, I could have a chance at him on this soybean. So I made a, a soybeans. I, I, I was probably, guys, I started this soybean field probably 145 to 160 yards from the timber. So you got the timber up there, the 135 acres, and then it was grass. And so, and then I started an hourglass uh, soybean. So I just come wide, come down to an hourglass and widen back out. And then I touched Milo to it. And the reason I do that is so if I come into this stand, I, I want deer not to be able to see in front of me. So if I need to call a deer into me, I don't want them to be able to see. And then from there was alfalfa. Now, one of the big keys to this deal was um, I was probably a half a mile in every direction from a road. And I took a tractor in August, and I mowed a path like I had the, the last two years is I just mowed a path, a curvy path, all the way to the road. So the grass is six foot tall. Um, the other key thing I did on the, the soybeans, the hourglass, where I was going to be entering an exodus, I put in uh, Egyptian wheat. So nine to ten foot deal. So I could literally, when I got the blind, I was down here. A, a deer could actually be on the food plot right in front of me. never knew I was there. Until I climbed up past that deal to get in, so I need, and in my exit too, so my alfalfa field was out there. If I have 150 deer on the dark, I could actually crawl out, go straight west, and um, they never know it. Uh, so I think that's all key to it. I mean, I, I always tell people the trees is only as good as your entry and your exit, not just your entry. Um, you know, so that is kind of the mousetrap I said is just. And again, when I tell people, they're like, man, how do I get that exact scenario? Well, don't, it don't have to be exact. Just get something in your mind. A lot of times it's just practical and, uh, and design it. And, and, you know, I'm sure you guys are like me anymore. I mean, I love killing them, but I like, I like designing the trap. That's oh, yeah, fun for sure. Yeah, so that uh, section of grass that you leave between the timber and the plot, are you mowing something? to get the deer to go down a certain way that you want them, or are you just taking advantage of their natural movements? You know, on this one, I've done that. On some of the property, I have that. On this one, I did. I had about three trails that were real natural. They followed a fence line, 
And, um, you know, one probably one reason I didn't this year is because I just run out of time. I, I bought the other farm, the cash that farm too, and we were just moving tractors. The farms were only seven miles apart. We just moving tractors, getting this, done that, done that. And, you know, you get to a point where I told the guys, I said, it's it. We're done. You can't go in anymore. You know, I mean, you can be the farmer and come on the out five, but we'll check those inventory cameras. Um, but, but other than that, this is the deers now. I mean, that's what, um, you know, I, I never go in to fill a water tank unless it's noon. Um, you know, same thing with the inventory cameras, just, um, just making them feel comfortable. I mean, that, that is the, I think the biggest key is, you know, this deer didn't have a clue. Uh, I don't know if y'all watched the YouTube deal on that deer, but he, uh, everything was, you know, it's one of the deals, you know, you think you're in control. Deer's coming up. He followed that other deer, that big brother deer coming out of nowhere, which was a giant, walked right in front of me. And then the flyer buck walks up there, and I'm thinking, I mean, I ain't even nervous. I'm like, dude, this sucker's dead. And, you know, I do my whole deal, and he just squirts on me. So what was so controlled, now I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm having to switch from the vertical to the, you know, and get over that horizontal window and, uh, <laughs> Just fortunate to be able to make the shot, but God, you know how it is with big bucks. Something's always got to kind of go wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, Jeff. Yeah, that uh, we've seen the video. I'll put the video in the show notes to this podcast, guys. Uh, be sure to check it out. The footage is just insane. I mean, that deer is so pretty. Yeah. And, and the way he's coming in, you got him all on camera, or the, the video camera, just looking spectacular. And yeah, uh, congrats again on that. I know I told you the other day, but. Yeah. That's just a heck of a deer. Hang on. What? Sorry. Kristen Sullivan's sister is here, and she didn't know if you were behind I'm just telling I'm in a podcast. There's no way right now. Okay. Um, yeah, no, like, uh, Cole Cannon, man, you know, that guy. That was great. He freaking runs the camera. I mean, that's one thing is uh, being a hunter uh, with a television show is having someone sure enough good over your shoulder that you don't have to worry and you can – focus on shooting the deer because I have a hard enough time doing that anymore anyway. Um, so, yeah, I just hats off. You know, I always tell him uh, he makes me look good. Happy birthday, Cole. I know it's your birthday. and He's still out at the ranch, so I'm fixing the head there in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, that deal there, looking at that deer and, and just, I could tell someone the other day on that deer. I mean, it's like how you fall in love with those bucks. I mean, it, it does get, you know, people don't want to hear you say it in a sense, but it is bittersweet because, I mean, you know, that, that farm was kind of defined by that deer this year. Um, and, and there'll be another one. God will give us another one. But just an unbelievable night, unbelievable time, unbelievable video. For sure, for sure. And I think what's awesome about this whole thing is you set up that whole mousetrap, we keep calling it, just the same way you would do it, you know, in other areas of the country where all of our listeners are. It might not be the same exact um, – habitat type or same exact, you know, A, B, or C, but what you did and how you displayed that here on the podcast is exactly how, you know, low pressure, screening your excess, um, not hunting the destination food, the alfalfa, where you can't get out without getting busted every time. I mean, everything you did was exactly what can be done in other areas of the country, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, one thing I want to say is, you know, I get accused a lot of, uh, you know, well, money can do whatever. And let me tell you, money, money will help, no doubt. But the truth of the matter is, it's just like this. That 25 acres of alfalfa, I mean, I didn't have to come out of pocket on nothing. I got a farmer 
And I'm actually making money off that. He's doing the work. And then, you know, I, I put some money into the corn, you know, into that big feeder. Um, and then some just hard elbow grease, mainly. I mean, obviously I bought the farm, but, but my philosophy on that, if you can buy the farm, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> my wife would be, uh, at some point want me to sell it and maybe I will. And, and, and I, I truly believe guys, I'll get my money back and then some, oh, but it's time to do that. Um, so, you know, again, to anybody listening, you can do this without a lot of money. I mean, just hard work, I, I guarantee you, will go a long ways. And, and using your head and, and um, you know, like I said, the alfalfa deal, you can actually get a return. That's a, that's a solid point there. Um, and I had a follow-up on your on your hunt there. Um, you you mowed the grass from the road, like all, all curvy and, and left and right. Is that, that was for your access on the way in, correct? Yeah, the access on the way in and and out, you know. So and the reason I do it curvy is, I, you know, my guys always ask me that. I'm like, well, I don't ever want somebody to be driving down the road and catch a glimpse of that straight mode path where they can see. So I want it to be curvy, and that way they can't see. If they do see the trail, they can't see it very far. Um, and so, you know, well, yeah, that's for, that's for access in and out. Um, Awesome. And, you know, there is a time that I go into that through the alfalfa. So the end of the alfalfa, you come in from the south. And and so sometimes I'll use two trucks. I'll put a truck over by the alfalfa, way out by the road, and then I'll walk in from there. And then when I leave, because it's just I don't have to go for any grass in the, or just something laying back there. And then I get in that stand, and then when I come out, obviously everything's already come through. And then they are all south south, and I walk out back to the west and, and have somebody pick me up or we have another vehicle there. So, again, just not rocket science, just, just staying out of the way, you know. Uh, I don't like the, the one deer to be spooked. I mean, you know, not that I don't want to spook one, but that's my, my goal. It's just a, it's their property, and, and I'm the intruder, and I have to be sneaky, you know. Amen. I mean, we talk about low pressure and striking at the right time a lot and this is a perfect example um what you mentioned something in your video that was interesting what um what weather situation did you get on your phone that made you go crap i gotta get there now i mean you're talking late september that's that's usually pretty warm pretty early tell us kind of what went through your head because you were you were hunting elk or something weren't you yeah yeah so jaylee my daughter we were out in new mexico and i've kind of been watching this running before we went but you know you never know you know, when you're too far out if the weather's right. But, you know, one thing that I tell people is you can hunt the cold front all you want with 30.60. If you've already messed it up, it doesn't matter. Um, because I have people come to me all the time they're like, well, dang, I'm hunting the same cold front you did. And I, my big buck didn't show up. Well, you hunted with a bad wind, or you didn't mean to hunt with a bad wind, but you went in on hot weather, and then the wind wasn't blowing hard enough. And then you're educating every deer in the dang deal, you know, right off the bat. So to me, that's the key. First of all, pick your spots and keep them fresh. And that's what we've done. We've not done anything wrong with this. And then we saw that, you know, I like anywhere from a 13 to 20 degree drop. This was going to be somewhere like 18 degree drop in temperature. And uh, mixed with, uh, you know, looking over deer cast, um, is the barometer was going to be, the barometer I think was 30.4 and rising. 
Um, and that was just off the charts for September. And I mean, to me, it doesn't matter what month. and It doesn't matter what moon. You guys may argue with me. I know I've, I've been in arguments with this. And, and, and you know, maybe they're right. Uh, for me, they're not. Because I, I believe weather will trump moon all day long. Um, not to say the moon doesn't have an effect. But weather will trump the moon. You know, you're getting the steady, steady, oh, hot, hot, hot. You get a 20-degree drop in temperature mixed with the barometer going up, and that's exactly what we played. And, and we literally went in. Uh, I mean, it's like that deer right there at the bottom here. I shot that deer with 30.55, and I can, I can pretty much look around this room and go into so many deer that I shot on those deals. You know, not low pressure like you're saying, and then wait on that cold front. Nobody's there. I mean, people will be like, well, this buck comes in every night at 2 in the morning. Well, why? And it's 70 degrees every day, 70, 70, 70. It ain't deer season yet. And then all of a sudden, deer season opens, and they had that deer the night before at 2 a.m., the night before that at 2 a.m. It's the same exact weather, and what do my buddies do? They go in thinking they're going to kill him. I'm like, this ain't nothing changed. All you're going to do is go in and see a dope family in the last 25 minutes. They're going to sit there and eat a little bit, and then you're going to get a bad pull, and they're going to smell you. And then he's laying back there, and then he see, hears it. You end up leaving. He comes and investigates, and now you're on your heels the rest of the season. And so that's what the, the cold fronts are only good if you ain't that guy. I mean, just be careful. And, again, I don't want to be out there pushing people not to hunt. But, but get some observation stands, get some different things, and hunt winds, and leave those those really good stands until you go, don't go hunt them, go in there to kill it. And that's what we did that night. We didn't go hunt, we went in to kill it, sir. Well, well said. I mean, like you're saying, you're not telling people, you know, don't go hunting, but have a plan B, have a plan C, mm-hmm. don't strike till the time is right. Yeah, I totally get that. I think... Um, Especially you're hunting deer like in Michigan or Pennsylvania where we're from too. These deer are nuts, man. Like you, they'll come in and smell you. You know, 48 hours later, know you were there, yeah. and then they're nocturnal after that. I mean, you get one shot. Um, I, I like how you said that there, and I, I've had a follow up. When you're looking at cold front, how much of a cold front is a cold front to you? And and then do you you sound like you watch a barometer quite a bit. Oh yeah, I'm definitely checking it. I mean. One thing I want to add, too, I mean, I got a deer right here right on me. Uh, it's called Huckleberry. I shot back in my major big boner days. Um, this deer, I knew the cold front was coming, guys. It was in uh, September in Kansas as well. I was hunting a 240-acre lease that I had. And uh, I hunted him the day before it got here. So I knew it was coming because, I mean, you guys know, and, I mean, I know, Brian, if you've Kansas, you're dealing with low winds. And, you know, you might have an eight, nine-mile-hour wind sound pretty good, and in the last 30 minutes, you know what that does. It turns the other direction, and you're screwed. So one reason I went after Huckleberry, I'd hunted him for 16 straight days, and when I say that, I'd just been up there for 16 days. Well, I looked for the truck. I was just being careful with him, whatever. And it's October 3rd, and um, we had a 21-mile-hour wind, so it was blowing the front end. So we were looking at it, and we're going, okay, the front's going to be here. The, the temperature's going to drop tomorrow. It was literally 91 degrees when I walked to my stand that day. But the front's coming. It's blowing in. You know, 21 mile an hour, and it's, and it's starting to drop. It's going to drop that night. It's going to be, you know, a 25-degree drop for the next day. But we shot Huckleberry that night. 
Um, and, and one of the big deals with it, we had that wind. We had that straightforward 20-mile-an-hour wind. He knew the front was coming. And, uh, shoot, I think I seen 12 bucks before him that night walked right in front of me going to soybeans. And, um, again, so the front, you know, I didn't just after it gets here, see it come and be watching that. And, um, you know, I, again, I use the 15 degree to 20 degree drop is what I like. Um, you know, it's just, it's just not the same. You know, you just get the same, the same, the same, the same. It just, it's hard for a change. You just ain't going to get, if the bucks ain't moving, they ain't moving. They need a change, and uh, that's what we're looking for. And, and how do you think the pressure coincides with that, with that higher pressure? How does that trigger them? I know Drury's, everybody talks about pressure. Um, some guys swear by it. Some guys don't pay attention to it too much. What are you looking for? A, a steady rise, an all-time high? Um out of average high? What are you looking for with that? Well, my deal, and, and I'm just going to, I'm probably way in over my head, guys, on the, on the scientific <laughs> deal. You'd have to give courage or whatever. <laughs> but from a practical side of uh, when I started learning about the barometer is I, I'm not big. I mean, you know, people talk about a rise and that stuff, whatever, and that's good. But it's just like we're going to have a 30.03, 30 point, whatever. That doesn't excite me at all. Uh, when I get to 30.3, uh, I actually shot a deer on 30.71, which is the highest I've ever seen. Uh, and I can promise you, when you get past 30.5 with drop in temperature, it, it's, it, it, it's, there's no, I don't care what anybody says, it, you need to be in your dang deer stand because mm-hmm. they can't help themselves. Um, but, but even 30.3 and rising, uh, I'm, I'm begging my wife, whatever it is, to get out of whatever. I mean, um, those are the deals. And, and I'll just tell you, truthfully, someone like myself, I mean, I got a family. I try to spend as much time with them as I can. Um, I don't bang my head hunting bad stuff, bad timing. Um, I chase these. I mean, I literally, I've probably been on my phone 10 times a day. <laughs> I don't know why. They don't usually change in a matter of minutes or hours. <laughs> but, you know, checking Ohio, uh, checking Missouri. Checking everywhere I got a place and going, man, when when are we going to get it? It's just steady, steady, steady. I mean, it's going to be 98 degrees. The one thing that we were waiting on, 98 degrees on Saturday, we we're taking a handicap hunter Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Well, 98 on on uh, Saturday, and it's going to drop down to 71 on uh, Sunday. Uh, so we're going to go to church that morning. One other thing to add, what we do, we don't hunt mornings right now, um, especially if you're after a certain deer because – you know, it's pitch black. You have no idea where he's at. You're going in to step on him. So we're staying away from that. Um, just playing the fronts and the eaves. No, that's great. That's great. I think, um, you know, like you said, Drury's and, and all those guys, they go into a lot more of the science stuff on it. I, I'm not into the science stuff on it either. So what you said makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just watch for that change, the significant change, or and even out of average change, right? If it's always 70, and then it's it's sixty. It might not be a huge swing, but it's below average. Yeah. Um, something to focus on, right? Well, and, and you know, it's just like uh, wind speed and all that. I mean, I use DeerCast for uh, the future. I mean, I can look into the future with uh, the pressure. And then I I use a couple other apps. You know, whether it's Weather Channel, whatever, AccuWeather, and I'm comparing winds. Um, you know, I just don't. I always look at my camera guy and I say. 
no mistakes. And and a lot of that is, you know, people ask me about my decisions, patients with big bucks, it ain't just on what stand you're going to hunt. And, and I can tell people, there's many observation stands I've shot moon and crocodile deer. I didn't necessarily want to be there. If I got a farm, I might be, you know, and I have 10 stands on there, and this might be number eight in my line of favorites. But it was the exact right wind. You go in, and you actually shoot a booner because you the wind puts you where you needed to be. And that's to those guys, too. I mean, maybe they got 30 acres. You know, set it up. Get you an east-west, north-south stands, and let the wind tell you where to hunt. Um, that's what will kill it. So, Jeff, you've had a lot of success in the hunting industry and with your properties, and uh, we've enjoyed following along. What's next for you? What Where are you going from this season moving forward? And uh, maybe in the future, what, what do you got on store for your followers? Well, i tell you guys, uh, just to be transparent with you, is uh, I, I, I'm just trying to be myself. Uh, you know, TV – you know, I've been in it over about 20 years now, and there was a time where, you know, I tried to please everyone, like I told you, and tried to be. And, you know, now uh, I believe that that's what everyone, every hunter's got to find out who he is, even as a hunter. You know, I got to tell my daughter is, you know, if you're somebody that just wants to shoot deer, go shoot deer and smile doing it. Don't you apologize for it. You want to shoot a year and a half old deer? I don't care. But, but find out who you are. Don't try to be Waddell. Don't try to be Drew. Don't try to just, just learn who you are. And I know who I am. I know that I like going and finding a deer. And that's, and I like building properties and all that. And there's a lot of people that love it. You have no idea on some people that just bash me and, and, and can't believe that I passed this deer or whatever. And, and, you know, but I'm big enough now. I don't really care. I just, go after so that's going to be more of what I do is um, I, I, I'm going to continue to do that and you know I have some goals set of, uh, of, of that but then the other is I'm, I'm at a point where my dad is 70 I'm going, to, I'm going to hunt with him more I'm going to continue to be with my daughter and, and be out there and teach that and, and even the field producers and, 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 and everyone that I kind of get to mentor with the Bible and all that, I, I want to teach them and give them opportunity. I, I, I was given opportunity. You know, I, I'm going to be 50 years old this year. I definitely want to kill some more big bucks, and I'm going to. And, and you know, I probably I want to go shoot a moose and some different things. And I'll start doing a little bit of that. But but for the, the really, the, the big thing is, is I'm just a, a whitetail guy. I love finding those big whitetails, I, I, you know. Uh, I've already now been, people are trying to buy my properties, and, and I don't want to sell them. <laughs> so <laughs> now my wife's like, I thought that's what we were going to do, is you're just going to build some up and then sell them. I'm like, well, we'll see. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I did get one that are hard to turn loose stuff. But, but more of the same, really, guys. And, and then more, I'll probably start speaking a little more um, at the churches and just sharing the gospel. We're, we're living in times that... Um, Sure enough, we need uh, Jesus Christ talked about and truth brought and, and love and and people are hurting more and more and and you know even people with uh, false security of money or whatever in the in the past now even you know it's a perfect time to share the gospel because uh, these times are uncertain and um, so we're gonna we're sure enough gonna do way more of that. That's awesome, Jeff. We really look forward to just continuing to follow along and. Um... And, you know, obviously, good luck in all your ventures. We have, we have one more thing quick we'd like to ask our guests before we wrap up. Uh, 
We want to know what your favorite tree is. Now, it seems like a simple question, but we get some pretty cool answers on this. It could be your favorite tree you shot a bunch of deer out of. It could be your favorite habitat tree you like to plant on your farms. Um, go ahead and throw something together for us if you, if you got one. Okay, well, I got a couple things. So, I got it. My favorite tree is a hackberry. And, like, just hanging and staying. I mean, I'm the guy, like, I can be at a picnic with my wife, and she's like, why don't you put them in trees? I'm like, yeah, if I could just take that tree with me. You know, especially being a Kansas Oklahoma guy, and Brian knows what I'm talking about. I mean, oh, yeah. it's trees all the time. So a hackberry, a big hackberry, man, just hangs really nice. So um, I love that. Um, but probably, you know, i tell you what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a picture of my favorite tree here in the next few days. So the Wallahatchee, you know, I, I was, again, I, I got to build that ranch years ago. and um, there was a tree I called the bedroom set, and uh, I shot four booners out of it. Um, wow. Actually, yeah, none of those deer, but anyway, there's one right here. Anyway, I shot uh, I shot four booners out of this one tree. It's a perfect deal. You could pull down to the old well, any westerly wind. You could you could sneak into it, um, get in it. You could actually see the big alfalfa field that I put in probably about a half a mile away, and then it was all river in front of me. And Literally, I almost shot the 202-inch out of it. I ended up shooting him in a different place, but I had an encounter with him. But, again, four booners, the perfect setup um, right on a fence line, I, and I use the decoy a lot of times. I put the decoy over the fence, and I'd only touch his back legs and just stake his back legs, and I'd, I'd be on this side of the fence with my, my tree, and, uh, gosh, it was just so awesome. But, Recently, we had a fire after I sold the place, or, or my investor sold it, um, had a fire. And that tree, I went down there the other day, my stand's still in it. It's leaned over, uh, and I, I'm going to take you. And we're actually kind of going to be doing a remake of the Wall of Hatches to you. Actually, the viewers will get to see this in the future, kind of this project we're on right now. Oh, cool. so, y'all, and show you my favorite tree that's laying sideways right now. Wow. Exact, exactly what we were hoping for. A great answer again on the favorite tree question. And I don't know why it never seems to disappoint. But yeah, Jeff, please send that over. Uh, maybe that'll be our thumbnail for the podcast episode yeah. when it launches, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but oh, hey, we want to be real respectful of your time. Thank you very much. Um, if you don't, if you want, go ahead and plug, you know, where we can find you and watch you and, and follow along. Yeah, well, obviously, guys, i got to give it up to Outdoor Channel and Sportsman Channel. They have been partners of mine for a long time, and, and you can find us over there. You know, Buck Ventures on Wednesday nights is our main airing. Um, but then, again, we're on My Outdoor TV with the Woodsman and all the pro staff guys. Um, so that will actually be dropping just here in a few days on uh, My Outdoor TV, and, and it's kind of a binge watch. They, they drop one every Wednesday, I believe, three, three episodes. And then lastly, I tell you, to go to the YouTube. I mean, uh, we're, we're making it bigger and better. We're trying to keep it almost up to life. So it's just like um, we just dropped, obviously, the flyer book. And then we'll put together a whole story of that for the national TV and the education behind it. We'll actually put together an episode of lots of what we talk about today, the mousetrap. Maybe I'll call it that. And, and even and give you guys a plug there too. And, and that's what I would want to say with you guys is I want to know where I can support you guys too. So I need y'all to make sure and text me that. We I want to get all my guys following you guys and and, and you know you guys are Christians. I want to uh, push you guys as far as I can push you guys too. And um, 
you know, so y'all help me get me that contact stuff so we can get everybody behind you as well. And I'm very appreciative of you guys. Wow, Jeff. Thank, thank you very much. That means a ton. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we truly appreciate you and, and uh, always been a fan following along. So keep up the good work, my friend, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Okay, guys, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Brian. Uh, God bless you. And, uh, yeah, shoot me that contact stuff. Thanks, Jeff. See you all. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras. The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com. Packer Max Cultipackers. Afflictor Broadheads. Killer Food Plots. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. And Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Mm-hmm.